Hello and welcome to On The Ball, the podcast that has been absolutely key to Norwich City's resurgence. This is now episode 95 of On The Ball. I'm Steve Sanders, aka Aptin CFC Numbers on Twitter, sitting in once again for Michael Bailey, who is alive and well, I can show you of that, but he's on official official Bailey business this week, I don't even know what it is, but he's not here anyway. Um, so while Michael stays away, uh, the Canaries keep winning away. Uh, so is it time to rethink all those tropes we thought we knew about our club? A win at Molyneux, a cup run, no longer a soft touch away from home, a goal from a set piece and defensive solidity. So just how much of this points to a bright new dawn under Smith and Shakespeare? And with the return of the lesser spotted tactical foul and even a rare bit of cynical time wasting, could we even be witnessing the end of nice old Norwich? So here to discuss that and ruminate on zero new arrivals, one significant departure and two big games at Carrow Road this week. We've assembled what I would call at least a three star panel. And first up is commentator, podcaster, king of Twitter spaces and a man who can now officially be introduced with the suffix from Sky Sports. Uh, they're already calling him the Jim White for the millennial generation. It's Fantastic. Stuart Hodge from Sky Sports. Stuart. Oh, great, Steve. Thank you very much for that introduction. Um, no, it's good. See, when you were saying commentator there, right? The last person I had described as a commentator on anything was Julia Hartley Brewer. So I hope <laughs> I'm not like her. Um, I mean, it's not, the, it's not the first person that springs to mind in any for any particular reason. Uh, who, who has the first commentator that springs to mind for you, Steve? Um, George Galloway. <laughs> Shall I introduce our second Senator. guest? Yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, by the way, you forgot to introduce me last week. I'm, I'm always just a heel. <laughs> like, you yeah, didn't get any introduction. You and Ben started You're drawing. absolutely <laughs> making the most of this introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. This is, this is two introductions in one right here. Um, but I thought, I, I, hopefully I did make up for it with uh, with what was quite a nice one there. Um, and you may have heard the voice of uh, former Norwich City head of content, renowned Canaries Twitter, thinker, philosopher, sage, an all-round top guy, just don't ask him to name any of Norwich City's current midfielders, Dan Brigham. <laughs> Dan, how you doing? Hello, Steve. Yeah, I'm doing well. Nice to see you. Nice to see you both. Yes, uh, it's a pleasure. We are um, we are audio only um, this week once again. Um, thank you to Susanna on Twitter who has reminded me that uh, Michael Bailey did assure us that next time he's on, if Norwich beat Watford, he assured us he'd do a Scottish accent. So we can only assume that that's where he might be uh, this week. Um, Scot- Scotland learning an accent. Michael Bailey will be learning or doing he may have already learned a Scottish accent I don't know if he agreed to do it for the whole podcast but um well you will be hearing it so um he'll be listening to this back right now I like this I I feel I need to hear this it should be clipped out and um I'm quite into the idea hearing all of the regulars do a Scottish accent you up for a bit of that fun Dan I wouldn't uh, at this stage (laughs) I wouldn't classify myself as a regular I don't think uh, or like the regulars and the sporadics then um. <laughs> well I, I, you know Michael did it as doing it as some kind of forfeit so I feel like um, I feel like it should just be reserved for him for now but um, I'll let you know what I'm prepared to for the sake of this podcast there's really not much to be honest um, so yeah Michael will be back next week probably um, and it'll just be audio for another week um, so hopefully we can we can do the medium justice anyway should we get on with it time for the headline act Uh, so it was 1-0, thanks to the mayor at Molyneux. Kenny McLean's header in first half stoppage time, putting Norwich City in the fifth round of the FA Cup for just the fifth time in the last 25 years. Um, Stu, I'll, uh, I'll come to you first. It wasn't, wasn't always pretty, was it? Um, but there was a lot to enjoy about that 90 minutes from a Norwich City perspective um, and a lot of positives that we're, that we're not used to, really. So what did you make of it? We beat Wolves. Wolves are a pretty good team, though I'm interested to see how they'll be now that Traore... Um, although he wasn't a regular, he was someone that changed games for them, even if he emerged for the bench. So I'll be interested to see how their form goes after his departure, at the sparkling debut for Barcelona. But for a, from a Norwich City perspective, I mean, goal made in Scotland, it was great. And then Scotland beat England at rugby. It was a great day for me. Um, but I think that what was most enjoyable about that was the fact that it wasn't really enjoyable. It was just a win. It was a ground out win, doing all the ugly stuff, like you said. I, I, I mean, it's great. The the swashbuckling orchestra of Farca was was brilliant in the championship, 
But if we can grind out results like that in the Premier League, then we'll be able to stay in the division. So more of that, please. Yeah, um, no, no more swashbuckling orchestras, at least not for a while, it seems. Um, Dan, your your words were that um, on Twitter were that you'd not seen a Norwich team in the Premier League as savvy and as happy to um, get the bleep machine ready, Michael. House since Lambert's eleven uh, twelve team. Is this new manager effect, or uh, you know, is that what is that what we can put it down to? Well, it's interesting actually. The response to that tweet from Villa fans was surprised because the one, I mean, they love Dean Smith. He's he's one of their own, but the one thing they feel he was culpable of was not actually introducing shit housing and being savvy in game management into the Villa team. Um, so that they seemed quite surprised by it, but I thought it was quite immediate. I think even in his first game we against Southampton, Dean Smith, we saw a little bit of that, just breaking up attacks with a few trips and a few shirt pulls, etc. Um, and it, it's, it's what's needed. And it seemed to rile up the, the Wolves fans as well. But every club in the Premier League, does it we did it last season in the championship but for some reason when we came up we seemed to stop doing it and just the moment when Grant Hanley was it 10 or 15 minutes into the game just for no reason whatsoever decided to push over John Ruddy and I thought <laughs> this is this is a team with a slightly different vibe about them now and it did yeah it reminded me of Paul Lambert's if we can say his name that might need bleeping out as well as housing uh it reminded me of that team and it, and not just in the way they were quite savvy and prepared to um get on board with the dark arts but the way Dean Smith seems quite flexible seems quite happy to go long occasionally play decent football occasionally sometimes go to up top sometimes fill the midfield there's a sort of robust slightly meat and veg um, football but with a bit of refinement that we saw under Lambert in the Premier League as well and it is kind of a as much as I was and a huge admirer of Farkas football and loved it. And it's probably the most fun I've ever had in a season following them in 1819. It's kind of, I think it's a welcome return to doing uh, those sort of basics correctly and those dark arts correctly as well. Yeah. Do you know what I liked better than Kenny McLean's goal was when he lost the ball, ran back and took that yellow card. Well, mm. I mean, you say that, Hodgie, but he'd lost the ball by trying to shoot from 50 yards out. <laughs> he, did a, he did a Jack Hendry against, yeah. um, against Czech Republic. Yeah. Didn't he? yeah. <laughs> 50 what, yards. What? And then he had to do his usual kind of put his arm up to apologise after that. <laughs> Fortunately, David Marshall was no longer the Norwich City goalkeeper. But um, I'll, I'll tell you what, the, but that, that was indicative of exactly the kind of Norwich City that we're seeing. And you, your tweet and, and, and what you're saying there is spot on, Dan. And it's that ability to mix it up as well, like you say. I think, I think we became ridiculously predictable under Farker in every facet of the game. And I actually noticed in Dean Smith's game, it was just... It was to do with that there was one kick that Tim Krul hit that was just a Farka pass that invited pressure. And now we don't do that. We don't play those silly balls, those silly passes. Of course, there might be a goal or two that we can see before the end of the season that's a lapse in concentration or a poor pass at the back. That's with the, the exception of Ozan Kabak, we don't seem to be doing any of that stuff. Like for the most part, we're playing what I would call more rudimentary football. Do you know? Do you know what was good as well? It was good to see Max Aarons get a rest, like because that kid has just been balls to the wall for so so long, um, and and I, I liked seeing him get a rest. I liked the I liked the amount of rotation that he did because I think he kept obviously changed the system, but I think the identity of what we were trying to do was similar in a way, and I think. The fact that we've got an identity that transcends the formation, because I was extolling the virtues of the formation and, and, and doing four four two last time I was on here, being able to go back but still keep the identity kind of similar, I think deserves a lot of credit, especially we having to change the team late as well. Yeah, well, just just to go back to that point on um, Max Aaron's, um, I mean, I I didn't think there was necessarily an outstanding player for Norwich, but one person who I thought kind of did stand out just because of I guess because of the backstory was was Sam Byram. I thought he looked really strong. I mean, the defence as a whole were great, but um, you'd it, it, almost kind of lost hope of Byram ever kind of coming back and, and playing that role. But it feels like he is going to play a part for the rest of the season. Do you think, Dan? Yeah, he's hit a high level to absurdly quickly for someone who has yeah. such a horrific yeah. injury and was out for so long. It can take It can take players months to get back to that sort of level. Um and I think what he's he's sort of reminding of us, A, how good defensively it was. I'll tell you what was really impressive was the win over Everton um, when he came on to 
um, shore up the left side, but because there was an injury to Williams, he then had to go to the right side. And they were, Everton were just aiming balls and balls and balls to Richarlison at the back post. And Byron was winning all of them. And he kind of adds that, um, that sort of height and mentality when it comes to defending that we don't often have from our fullback. So since um, Weber came in, because we go for attacking fullbacks, we go for fullbacks who can join um, in you know, the final third, etc. Whereas Byram actually does the basics really, really well. I mean, I don't think he's going to um, supplant Max Ahrens as starting at right back because Ahrens has probably been our most consistent player this season and he's an outstanding player. We're probably very lucky to have him. But what what a great backup we have. And, you know, mm. we, have, we have real depth, depth in that squad now at the back, um, not mm-hmm. necessarily in midfield or going forward potentially, but at the back we've got real Premier League depth. And um, if Ahrens... God forbid gets injured for any long period of time, then Sam Byram is an outstanding replacement. Yeah, and if he, um, if he doesn't get injured in turn, that's always the big question with him. But I totally agree. Two good players for every position. Like temperamentally, he sort of he sort of reminds me a, a little bit of Johnny Howson. I know that's a slight you know, another lead oh, boy, but someone who do will that just, to me. But someone who will just, you know, who just seems like a great pro and a nice guy, good Yorkshire boy, he'll play wherever he's asked, you know. Obviously, Howson yeah, had a good weekend as well. But, but Johnny you know, Howson's a Rolls Royce, mate. Yeah, I'm not saying he's the same player, but like just Sa- just in Sam Byram's a Volkswagen Golf. Johnny Howson's a Rolls Royce. <laughs> it's kind of, they're both kind of benign, aren't they? They just get on with it. Never never drop below a seven out of ten performance. Exactly that. Yeah, never shift in without being showy. Yeah, yeah, but, um, but, yeah. You say that, Dan, but the season I was doing the commentary, Johnny Housen scored world day after world day, man. Like he was eights and nines regularly that campaign. All right, the team. It's not below a seven, is it? The playoffs. It's not below, it's not below exactly, a seven. Yeah. Never but below like, a seven. But you say not showy. Johnny Housen was not. He wasn't showy, but what he did in the field was showy. Yeah. Um, I mean, and just to say. I drive a Volkswagen Golf, so uh, there's absolutely absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, speaking of um, showy, and the, the I suppose we go back to the forty yard strike from Kenny. But um, talk, let's talk about the goal that was made in Scotland. Then I'll I'll pass this one over to Stu. Was that was that deliberate? The header. It feels like it was. It felt felt like a training ground thing. Do you think he was aiming for that corner? I uh, don't know. Right now, he said afterwards. Yeah, he, he said that that's something they've been he, trying in training is that sort of near post peeling off and heading it to the back post. Okay. I, I think I, I think it's very hard to pull that off deliberately, but I hope it was. But the the credit for me that does, and I'm going to come back to to, to this and my my rant bit because I didn't come with an idea, but I thought of it in our our green room period before the pod. Um, <laughs> but I think I think credit goes for the ball in. Um, it's maybe the best thing Billy Gilmer's done in a Norwich shirt as that, that ball in, because it had so much pace on it that allowed Kenny to do that. Kenny shifted his body really well to get the, the elevation and the, the aim on it. But, yeah, um, and I don't actually... I was trying to remember if John Ruddy had conceded a goal like that as Norwich keeper that I could remember. And I couldn't even remember one of that particular <laughs> out where it can all It would have been a few, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah, when we thought was... about jumping, but then just went, nah. <laughs> well, that, that, that was it. Like, and to be honest, he, he was having a half decent game. There was that shot he came out and charged down, and uh, he tried to be a bit Josie Sa. That, that dribbles. That was a fantastic oh, dribble, wasn't it? I don't remember him nice. ever doing that. That is one thing I cannot remember ever seeing John Ruddy do, is try and sort of, you know. Um, sort of turn into a you know Zico or someone like that in his own penalty I think, box. I think maybe when you only play three times a season, you really make the most of it, don't you? As a goalkeeper, <laughs> I mean, he went up to went up for a corner at the end as well, didn't he? I uh, got to love it. Um, I no, I saw Brendan Rodgers try and do the same with Craig Gordon, make him into the a Manuel Neuer footballing goalkeeper. Just just stick to keeping the ball at the goal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was thinking, though, you know, Wolves, we were talking, we were all talking them up two weeks ago. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the last two wins that we got were against two sides who kind of basket cases, really, and obviously sacked their manager after. Wolves are nothing like that. Um, it helps when you're playing a team that puts Fabio Silva up front for the whole game, I think. But that felt like a win against a really good team, Dan. I mean, that that's something that we, ha- I don't know how often we can say this season as well. Yeah, I would argue, I think, that our best performance this season was probably our nil-nil at home to Wolves when mm-hmm. we outplayed them entirely, missed 
three or four clean cut, clear cut chances and should have come away with three points from that. And we, we really dominated. And that was just kind of before the COVID started to impact on our, on our squad. So it's, yeah, it's the second time we've played Wolves, who are an excellent side and probably in better form now than when they came to Carrot slightly earlier in the season. I mean, yeah, I mean, they had silver up front, but they also had their absolute Rolls Royces in midfield. It was a, it was a good squad, uh, first 11 they put out. On Silver up front and gold in midfield, Dan. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Old gold as well, because Matinho <laughs> and Neves, are, they, are, they are getting on, but my goodness, they wow. are excellent players. And, um, you know, apart from hitting the post and getting a little bit lucky then, and although they dominated the second half, they really created very little. And that's one thing I would say about this Norwich City team under Dean Smith. We can come under a huge amount of pressure, but I don't get the kind of terrifying chilling horrors that I used to get under Farker when we were trying to hold a lead or any uh, any other point in the Premier League um, actually that where you'd kind of think well we're, we're bound to concede at some point I don't quite get that under Dean Smith that back four has turned into uh, a really difficult back four to break down for teams we defend our box much better than we were earlier in the season I think yeah. we defend our box but we also defend when, when we come out a wee bit we don't look like a team that's just going to get turned around either. So it's the way that we defend in the front foot a wee bit as well. We're not quite like Diaz, like intercepting it in the halfway line and then going an amazing run or, or spraying the ball 50 yards. But we're defending further up the field better and then we're going compact and going into shape at the right times. And you mentioned Dean Smith. I wonder if that's the Craig Shakespeare bit, that defensive side, that, that tactical nous that he brings because it's... Obviously, we're not c- competing at the, at the level Leicester did when they w- actually went and won the Premier League. But there's a few facets of how we get back into our shape and that compactness that reminds me of that Leicester team. And let's remember, Wes Morgan captained that Leicester team. So you're not talking about a, a wonderful like, centre-half, are you? When, when that comes to all due respect to Wes. But th- that, I think, tells me that Shakespeare's had experience of making teams hard to break down, difficult to beat, and getting the most out of the team in terms of that solidity. So I'm just wondering if that's what he's bringing to the party. And at the other end of the field, I think I think we look a bit better going forward. I think we look we we don't look lost or or look, we're second guessing ourselves in attack. Yeah, it's maybe not always going to come off, but there seems to be a clarity of thought that was missing before. Yeah, I mean. I, I don't have the numbers on this, but I would be amazed if our midfielders aren't running more than they were under Daniel Farker. To me, it just seems like they're getting up and down a lot better. Another thing about the the kind of resilience of the team, I, I could I haven't checked this, but I think we've held seven leads this season and won every single game. I might be wrong about that, but um, that kind of shows a team, and obviously five of them under under Dean Smith, that kind of shows a team that's that's got the ability to dig in and to, to hang on, obviously, with the, what they did at the weekend. Um, so the reward then is a, is a trip to Anfield. Um, oh, good. <laughs> as much a reward as that is, seeing as we've, we're doing it in the league between now and then. Um, I've put on March the 2nd. That may change, but it's it's that midweek that may have changed between the time I wrote it and now. Um, and that's the seventh away tie we've had in the last nine draws in the FA Cup. Um, Stu, any, any chance... There, Spurs two years ago. Does that give you any hope, or, or are we, you know, just going to go there and give it our best shot? And what happens, happens. No, we'll do the Daniel Farker thing. I just like conceding defeat before the first whistle. Um, <laughs> nah, that a bit harsh, but like I think that attitude definitely affected and pervaded the squad earlier in the season. What I'd like to say about the Liverpool game is their keeper should have been sent off at 0 0 against Cardiff, and if that happens maybe we play Cardiff and maybe we can actually begin to construct a bit of a run. But you just look, I mean, we're talking about Norwich having two good players for every position at the back. Liverpool have got three good players for every position anywhere in the field. It's going to be really hard as much as Jurgen Klopp will moan about having to rotate his squad or whatever he's got to do. I think, I think there's a chance. Like, actually, that's the difference. See, under Dean Smith, I think... There's a chance he is going somewhere and getting a result. But see if I'm honest, I would rather that that... Because I don't see us getting that scalp and then getting another one in the cup. Whereas I think we could get a very valuable scalp if it was a Premier League one. So kind of contrary to what I was saying in the last pod where I thought an FA Cup run would be good if we went down. If I wanted 
to to get a scalp, I'd want three points from it rather than just um, passage to the next round of the cup where inevitably we'll play a big team. So, aye, there's a chance, but I think we're probably only get one, going to get one of those miracle results and I'd rather save it for the league, if I'm honest. What would you choose, Dan? Because obviously we'll, get, we'll definitely get one, right? We're definitely going to win at least one of those games. Well, this, well, this is this was my 30-second spiel is about. Oh, OK. Well, should yeah, we, we hold it? Let's hold yeah, it. But what, what I would say is when I, I saw um, the draw and I thought, well, you know, Liverpool, if they beat Cardiff, which they did, Liverpool often play their kids in cup competitions. Then I saw their lineup. I thought Van Dijk, Henderson, <laughs> Firmino. And I was like, well, Klopp's clearly not doing that anymore. He maybe have given up on the title race already and fancied a bit of FA Cup action. So it's tough, but, you know, it's kind of good fun going to Anfield as well, isn't it? There's nothing to lose there. No one expects us to win. I mean, Kidderminster Harry has almost beat West Ham United at the weekend. And there were several shocks. And we're in the same league as Liverpool, so <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out entirely. Win on penalties. Did a, did a non-league team beat Todd Cantwell's new team, or am I making that up? It bore and would, yeah. Yeah, well, um, we'll, come, we'll come to Todd. There's plenty of time for... <laughs> on. Shall I, shall I steal Ben's Toddcast yeah, line? Yeah, you shall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all right. Gonna, on this top, a Toddcast. Okay. Going to turn into a bit of a Toddcast. And just say before uh, we move on. Yeah, yeah, please do. Wasn't it lovely to see little Mi- Mickey McGovern, little Lego <laughs> Mickey McGovern, jumping around and keeping a clean sheet as well? It's great when he appears for us. Uh, I love the guy. I, I think he's great and like that performance I remember that he put in for Northern Ireland against Germany was 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 a heroic heroic display but see when we were talking about John Ruddy and like since you've mentioned him I'll say it now I just in my head while we were having that conversation thought imagine Michael McGovern trying to do that <laughs> like <laughs> you, you cannot see it can you I'm not entirely convinced Michael McGovern can touch the crossbar if I'm honest <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's taller well, than you, me, so I, I, you know, I can, I can. I was going to say, this night. is people but in for a, glass for a goal, here, for a goalkeeper though. I've never seen, I've never, I don't think I've seen one that small. Do you think he's low centre of gravity? Might mean he's got like a mercurially good touch, like Wes Houlihan. <laughs> yeah, maybe Maradona should have gone in goal. He really, really <laughs> exactly, <his> exactly. <laughs> oh, if, if he, Maradona was playing now, he'd surely be a sweeper keeper, right? <laughs> all, all I'm going to say is Google. Just Google this height. And this cannot be true. Six foot three. Six foot three. Michael McGovern. According to Google, six foot three. Maybe maybe if he, yeah, put him on a box. uh, Right. First rule of journalism, Steve, plurality of sources. Uh, While you um, sort of sort your next bit out, I'm going to Google three different heights for him, right? Okay. Let's see. Well, if if that's not enough to keep you tuned in, I don't know what is. We'll finish finish the first part and uh, we'll move on to some pick that one out. We were talking about Michael McGovern um, being six foot three, which he is according to various sources. But then I remembered you remember Joseph Manala, who was sixteen but actually like thirty six, the young Lazio kid. So I was like, "What's on official sources is disputable." So <laughs> I'd, I'd put McGovern at five, five eleven tops. I See, I yeah, five, I wouldn't have him six foot. I wouldn't. And I wouldn't have them as six foot. I don't. I don't trust. I don't trust the heights. Like where? Where are they getting those from? Mm. You know, are they? Are they measuring them? Is he jumping up and down while he's doing it? I, I'm not. I'm not having it. Um, hanging, on the, hanging on to the crossbar at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, thirty seconds of uh, grandstanding for our two panelists. It's pick that one out. Um, so it's half a minute of uninterrupted wisdom on a topic of their choosing. Um, and I'm going to be stricter this week uh, after basically giving you carte blanche to talk about Brandon Williams for as long as you wanted to. <laughs> I mean, give the people what they want, I know, but um, I will try Thank and... The, the purpose of this is... This is the only time when I get to interrupt a monologue. So I think part of the problem was the alarm. So if you could give me something to shout at you, please, um, that would probably help. Just a short phrase. Uh, I think you should go shooting star style and go, Evavu, like that. Okay, Evavu it is. Um, Dan, you kind of teased yours. In fact, you both have, but Dan more yeah, recently. So um, I, that's me assuming that you've got something pertinent to say. So I'll let you go first. <laughs> I mean, I, I would never classify it as pertinent. <laughs> well, we'll let the listeners be the judge of that. Um, <laughs> your 30 seconds starts now. 
So it is, it is on the FA Cup versus the Premier League or glory versus survival. And I'm very much on the side of wanting to win the FA Cup rather than stay in the Premier League if it, if it came to that choice. Because when I was growing up as a kid, I don't know about you, but I did not dream, get into football dreaming about seeing us finishing 17th in a division. That's not what glory and aspirations based on. It did not involve having to watch Burnley v Watford play out a stalemate <laughs> on a Saturday night just to ensure they didn't get three points. What glory is... <laughs> Worth it for the Avavu. What glory is, is actually winning things, putting your best team out to try and win something. Yeah, I'm into that. Although having said that, when I saw that the Liverpool FA Cup game was <laughs> sandwiched between two winnable Premier League games <laughs> against Southampton and Brentford, I may have may have uh, slightly uh, changed my mind for a brief period of time. It's it's difficult not to get sucked into the idea of survival, though, isn't it? Just because that it, it's that churn of every single game feeling like it matters, and this, um, and because we've been relegated what three times out of three seasons now just staying up would make yeah. me feel like a bit of glory as well hey who says we can't have both and um, exactly yeah. uh you know michael keeps making the point of an fa cup has an fa cup win ever sparked a change in fortunes for a club more you know in the league and maybe it's happening with us who knows um Wag- wagon athletic mate they, they yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was a positive impact <laughs> rather than a distraction. Um right, Stu, 30 seconds. That's gonna be a challenge, but rules is rules this week. So are you ready? See when. When? Right. Billy Gilmore has been the key to the resurgence, right? It's lazy journalism. People make mistakes. Journalists make mistakes. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of time pressure. That guy's been getting unfairly targeted. Tagging him in tweets is wrong because people make mistakes in their job every day, but not everyone is subject to that scrutiny. However, what it does show is that there is a severe bias because he is with a bigger club. And that's part of, I think, a wider problem within the Premier League where media entities are wholeheartedly in favour of the bigger clubs and the bigger clubs. Very and well I think put, Billy, completely agree. Completely agree with everything you've said there. Part of the reason the Norwich fans are so hard on Billy is because of that. Yeah. What I would say about that, the broadcaster who made that error was it's not a commentator in the sort of in the moment when you can make errors very easily. It's someone who, as a BBC Match of the Day uh, broadcaster, will have all of the stat platforms, statistical platforms available to him, and anyone can Google appearances this season. Like It's just a sort of lack of rigour when it came to journalism. It's and it was real- quite frustrating. And you can easily imagine a state, a, a state where they accidentally put Todd Cantwell in first, realised he wasn't playing and went, <laughs> oh, who else have we heard of at Norwich? Billy Gilmore. And just put it down to him instead. That's, uh, but I think that's... that's You're right, though. He shouldn't be tagged into tweets and abused no, the, for the making a mistake. Tagged. No, people, people shouldn't be. And that's why I would come out in defence of him. That said, I'd be grotesquely embarrassed if I did that <laughs> but Stu as uh, I mean uh, you know I know you do slightly different work but you do kind of work in that industry right so I'm guessing that it's probably I'm guessing it's harder than uh, that's a pretty egregious error no doubt but is it is it harder than it looks doing that sort of thing have you got kind of limited time to do to pull all that stuff together have- well I, I don't know the 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 permutations of what that person was doing if they were covering various games or they did it at the end of an eight-hour shift working on the website. I mean, it could have been anything, right? Because uh, I'm not sure. I didn't actually see the clip, so I'm not sure of the individual that it was. And to be honest, I'm not going to go digging out um, in terms of that. But people are under pressure. That said, if you've got a job on a national broadcaster covering a game in the league they call the best in the world and they sell as is the best in the world, I mean, if I was doing Ross County against Brecon, I would make sure... <laughs> I knew what players had played games when. But if we're talking about an international footballer on loan for one of the biggest clubs in Europe, in Chelsea, um, playing for Norwich City, then I would make sure I knew when he'd been playing. So, aye, I, I think... And as you say, it is different when you're a commentator in the moment. A lot of folk don't know this. There was a, I was quite lucky. I once got a, a goal call wrong in uh, the season I was the Norwich commentator and the, the great production team that I worked well on it 
they gave me the chance to redub the commentary after the game for that one goal. And I, I learned a lot for that moment because I let it affect my performance commentary-wise. Like, I was really inside myself a bit and like, kind of, you know, that way, a bit anxious, a bit raw up for the next five, ten minutes of the game. And what I learned after that is you've just got to get over it. You've just got to get over it, move on to the next thing. Um, a bit like, I suppose, if you're a player and you, you give a goal away or you put the ball out of play, it's like next pass, next move. We try and you shoot know. from 50 yards and nearly <laughs> can see short, the goal from a counter-attack. Short memories. But um, <laughs> I, 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 think, I, I think it's unfair to dig the guy out. That said, um, if I'm the BBC, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about... Uh, well, also, there should be, it's not just him as well, is it? It should be someone at match of the day that's fact checking all the scripts and that kind of stuff. But, but really. do you know what, Dan, right? Like, we're not going to go down this rabbit hole, but to be honest, <laughs> I think we already have. To be honest, but... <laughs> are, you, are you going to go down a rabbit hole of cuts? <laughs> underfunded BBC, <laughs> the, the lack of no, well, not the BBC specifically, but journalism is suffering for the fact that there's not enough people employed to do jobs. People have been asked to do three and four jobs where it used to be one, so obviously, stuff's going to slip through the net. But that's a hell of an own goal to let it slip through. Mm. Yeah, Billy Gilmore's Norwich City. Um, just a couple of any other business items. We haven't actually mentioned the fact that uh, Matthias Norman is now back. Obviously, we can cover that in the Palace Norman, game. Norman, good to see, good to see the man back. And uh, just ex Norwich City player, watch. I mean, I know I'm obsessed with Emmy Buendia, but uh, capped by Argentina for the first time. So I think that's a kind of a tick in the box for for um, the much maligned scouting um, and coaching from the season. And then on the other side the other side of that, um, or not the other side of that, but kind of less fortuitously, Jamal Lewis left out of Newcastle's squad, mm. not even going to get any football for the rest and of the season. And apparently turned down an option of a loan move as well. Did he? Well, um, grass isn't always greener, I guess. Um, so anyway, uh, talking of which, uh, let's, let's do centrefold. We've talked about a couple of departures there. So um, the transfer window did ease shut uh, on Monday night. Um, and it was the first window uh, since window transfer windows were brought in, in which Norwich City made zero signings. So it was more about the outgoings. Jordan Hugel joined Cardiff and promptly scored six minutes into his debut on loan, I should say. Um, but the big story among Norwich City fans was Todd Campbell's departure. Um Joined Bournemouth for the rest of the season on loan, getting off to um, yeah, pretty ignominious start with the um, defeat to Boreham Wood last night, um, as we speak. And that deal has the option, I believe, to make to be made permanent for eleven million pounds in the summer if the player and the club choose. Um, so Dan, Stu, and I talked about this with Ben a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I'll come to you first. It's, it's pretty incredible, isn't it, given where we were with Todd in the summer and how valuable he was seen at that point that we're here now. So what do you? make of of the whole um shebang well i talked about this last time i was on the pod as as well and it's kind of is i think he had a very good championship season i think he was an integral part of a, a front four that was often missing their number 10 um it obviously didn't have the impact that emmy buendia did he's not as good a player as emmy buendia i think we can all agree on that but we did expect him to come into this season and perform at Premier League level for a club of our size I think I've never thought he was a sort of a top six top eight Premier League footballer at all and now we're left kind of wondering what what is his level actually and that's not just uh, through his technique or his talent but also potentially where his head's at and we don't know we shouldn't speculate on that Um, but does he have quite what it is needed to make it at the top level and it brings to mind a little bit Alex Pritchard who I thought is actually a more talented player than Todd Catwell, but he's he's in League One now, play, you know, playing for one of the bigger sides in League One. But that guy who played for us, Alex Pritchard, should not be a League One player. But he is a kind of a a story that Cantwell could do with kind of looking back on and thinking, well, I may have the talent, but I've got to apply myself maybe differently to how I have been applying myself to make the most of it. Because you could, if he doesn't have a great low move at Bournemouth, what's his what's his next option? You know, where does he go from here? Who comes in for him now? Um, uh, you know, it was best for both parties, wasn't it? That that we that we've split up. Uh, he wasn't probably it wasn't probably great for uh, for Dean Smith to be asked questions about him every press conference. It wasn't great for Todd Campbell not to be playing football. So, uh, a lone move with a, a view to buy is probably sadly the best uh, option that uh, presented itself in the end. I, I think. 
I think to be honest, and this is what I was hinting at, is why I asked the question last time with Stephen Ben is because I, I just feel that Todd's at that point where he could either end up being a League One player or bouncing back and making a success of his career and fulfilling the maximum of his potential, which I think is a Premier League player, maybe a squad player even for a, a kind of middle of the road club. I don't I'm like you, Dan, I don't think he's a top six or a top eight player. But I also think that the style of player that he was maybe gave people a false perception of the standard of player that he was because I watched him in the 18-19 championship season and I thought, I wasn't really sure that he was he was going to be a massive part of things when I thought, like, in my head, he was maybe like an upper end of League One player. Then he came up to the Premier League and he had some dazzling performances played really well, especially against the big clubs, was obviously riding the crest of a wave at that point. But I think because he was a technician, I think a lot of people thought, oh, this guy's really good and he's maybe a bit better than he was. And Daniel Farker's team played to the strengths of a player of that ilk. So I think that was maybe a factor as well. Whereas now I think he's kind of regressed, maybe slightly below the mean, but I think it might you might reach some kind of equilibrium. And to be honest, both for him and for Norwich City, I think £11 million. I don't know if there's add-ons involved, but £11 million would, would be a solid return for an academy player for me uh, yep. of, of Todd's standard. So for for that reason, I would, I would like the loan to be a success in Bournemouth to want to make it permanent. And then for Todd, I think he needs to go somewhere. I think the Norfolk bubble, which probably was, was really nice at one point because he's a Norfolk lad, there's been so much scrutiny on him. He seems to obviously spend quite a lot of time in social media, which um, even sort of me Twitter damages me. I can only imagine what it must be like when you get the amount of followers and the amount of criticism and all of that that a professional football player is going to get. I have to manage my time on social media a wee bit to manage my own levels of mental health and anxiety and stuff like that. I can only imagine what it's like for Todd. And the, the sense you get is that he's definitely a bit of a sensitive sort of sort of lad. Um, but the age he's at now, it, it's make or break. So yeah. I hope getting out of the Norfolk bubble does him good. And to be honest, I hope the club pocket the money for him. Yeah, he's not an up-and-coming player anymore. He has, um, for a better way of putting it, he has come now. He is, you know, he, his time should be now. Um, I liked your sort of analogy, Hodgie, but, well, not analogy, but your way of just because he's technically good, people assume he's going to be excellent. And... Mm. Um, in a way that maybe you look, watch Grant Hanley and don't assume he's going to be excellent because maybe he's not as technically good. And it's sort of, for any cricket fans out there, it's like a batsman who has some glorious cover drives and looks technically proficient and uh, amazing to watch, but then just gets clean bowled trying the same shot the next ball. And Todd feels a bit like that. He has his uh, occasional ability to just nutmeg someone or drift past someone, but he'll do it again and get tackled and the team in a ridiculous error on the pitch and the opposition will break away and score. And what I would say about him, actually, I'd wonder actually whether it comes down to maybe footballing intelligence. Cause if you compare him to Emmy Buendia, yeah. Emmy kind of came in as ex- excellent, natural talent, raw. What he did do wrong is he'd lose the ball in the wrong areas of the pitch. And sometimes his uh, wholehearted defending would give away free kicks. And he also didn't score goals. And then within 18 months, um, he was defending much better. He was winning the ball back, wasn't giving away free kicks. He was making great runs in the box, adding goals to his game. Um, and he wasn't giving the ball away in stupid areas on the pitch as well. And that came from coaching, but also kind of being open to that coaching and taking it on board. And I just yeah. don't think Todd Campbell's got rid of the errors he made in his game in 1819. They're still the same errors, I think. I think, I think the, the compar- there has been a lot of comparing Max Aaron to obviously is still a couple of years younger and Todd Campwell. And I think you're right. I mean, to go back to your cricketing analogy, give me Jonathan Trott over Ian Bell any day. You want somebody who you can rely on, especially in Norwich City situation. I think the thing, the thing that's sad for me is uh, there's already been quite a lot of, you know, schadenfreude at the fact that he's gone out of the FA Cup. And I hope I hope he doesn't become one of those players who, you know, we look back on and resent because of the way he left. Because I think he has been an, a, a very good player over a decent per- period of time for Norwich City. Um, I'm going to move it on because we probably ought to move it on. Um, and let's, uh, let's do, this is almost like fantasy football. This is almost fantasy football. 
so uh, two big games at Carrow Road in the space of the next few days. I mean, this this is what it's all about, really, being in the Premier League. I think the next week is going to be fantastic. Two very different matches. We've got Crystal Palace on Wednesday night and then Manchester City are here for the 5.30 kickoff on Saturday, uh, just as it was two seasons ago. Um, so, I mean, we can talk about how difficult Man City is going to be, of course, but I think pa- the Palace game feels like the big one, doesn't it? Um, so, Stu... Uh, is this is it another are we, are we calling this must win again I mean maybe they all are now in, in terms of the games that we can win um, so do you feel like we need to win this you're going to think I'm weird but no I think we I think we can't afford to lose it because of the momentum that we've built up but I don't actually think it's disastrous if we come out of it with a point um I mean, if you look at it, a lot of people like to look at things in graphs and, well, I'm talking to NCFC numbers, <laughs> yeah, they right? Ma- mathematics and, and like we need to beat this team because we've got a better chance of points average and blah, 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 blah. Right. I, I think football's a lot to do with runs. It's a lot to do with momentum. It's a lot to do with confidence. It's a lot to do with the kind of intangible factors that people... Um, the statistically minded, if you like. Uh, <laughs> so I sound like I'm having a right go at you. I don't mean it that way. Yeah. Um, but the a lot a lot of the people that look at the statistical side and the data side of the game sometimes forget about the intangibles. And I think for that reason, I don't actually mind us getting a draw. And I actually think we're going to play well against City. I, I think I think that's going to be the game where and I hope I'm not wrong about this, because if we go out and get steamrolled, which City will have within their capabilities to do, but I actually think that's going to be the first game where it's going to be rock and roll Carroll Road again, you know? Like, I, I honestly think that because in the other games, there's that pressure, that nervous energy, that anxiety. Man City's going to feel a free hit. And I think we're going to go out there and we're going to give them a game. We might lose 3-2 this time. But if we <laughs> go out... The thing about Man City is, right, if we, if we go, we don't get beat against Palace, right, and then we play Man City. If we lose, but we put in, like, a proper stand toe-to-toe with them, go like really hard at it and play well, that's still going to keep that momentum going because it's not necessarily points-based, it's performance-based. And part performance, part results-based. If you're grinding out results with not great performances, that's great as well. But against a bigger team, if you go out and you, you deliver a performance, because if we go and we get beat 3-2, but we stand toe-to-toe with City, the Norwich City fans are going to respond really, really positively to that because we've had a go rather than rolling over. It's sad that that's the state of affairs that we've got to. And yet, in the bigger picture, we probably do need to beat Palace and try not to lose against City if we want to eventually beat the drop. But it's going to be a hell of a low points total that stays in the division this year. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's all about the momentum. And even one point, as long as it's against Palace for the next two games, I'm not necessarily heartbroken. Okay. We do then go. We do then go to Anfield away. That's true. That <laughs> momentum might be obliterated. <laughs> well, you know, you might as well get those two out. In, in one go, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so are we thinking, Dan, probably back to four four two, and And if so, who are you to... I think Central... It feels like the team is picking itself at the moment if everyone's fit. Um, who's your two central midfielders, though? That feels like the area of the team where there's most competition right now. Are we yeah, going well, to go back to four four two? Well, match. firstly, I would I would say I, I'd imagine we play four four two again, or four two four, as I prefer to call it, because I can't bring yes, myself as, to as think four, that Norwich two, are playing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's either, isn't it? But I can't bring myself to say we're playing that. But um, I think we'll probably play a two in midfield against the sort of lower opposition, yeah. lower league opposition, and probably play three in midfield against better opposition. I mean, if everyone was fit, I'd probably go Norman and Sorensen because. Sorensen is a proper DM and it frees Norman up to be what he should be, which is a number eight. Uh, but as Sorensen's not fit, I, I, at least Malou's been good in the last three games and mm. it'd be harsh on him not to start. So I'd probably go Norman and Lise Malou. But what the last few matches Watford and Everton have shown us is that there's a, there's whatever midfield we pick, we find Dean Smith found a way um, to make it work. I mean, against Ever- against Watford, there were moments there were times when we, that midfield was absolutely rocking in the first half and Watford are all over us um which which is probably why I think we'll probably see 4-3-3 more often this season but mm. you know it's still hung on and it's still put it's still that midfield still put the work in and still um still showed a lot of character as well but I would just to make another point on it 
referencing what you said, Hodgie, about intangibles and numbers when it comes to it. This applies to Crystal Palace as well, because if you just go on the intangibles and the vibe, they're having a really good season. Actually, mm-hmm. if you look at the numbers, they're having a worse season than their last two under Roy Hodgson. <laughs> and they've only won one more Premier League game than us. So they're exactly. Not, they're only they're eight not points. Doing, yeah, they're not us. doing spectacularly well. Mm. This is a game that at home with the kind of form we're in and the kind of form we've shown under D Smith, both sides of that COVID impact, which I think we can start disregarding now. It's a game we should be confident of taking three points from. And that's not a, not a sentence I'd ever thought I'd say. In the <laughs> do, you know, do, do you know a thing though? Like this, this kind of puts to a wider point, which and we, we kind of referenced in the context of Billy Gilmer earlier, right? But narrative, the whole Premier League seems to be driven by narrative right now. And the narrative around Norwich City for, for this season was abominable. Some media outlets covering us, like we don't belong in the division and, and, and doing that like regularly, getting their pundits to spout off. Yet Crystal Palace, who they've been eulogising about, are only eight points above us now. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, it certainly, it certainly does feel like and if we can continue on this with this momentum, there are teams we can reel in. And well, Brentford, absolutely, who are what they've played a game more than us as well. And if Burnley win all their games in hand, they go above Brentford, which A, makes you worry about Burnley, but B, kind of, well, Brentford can be real in. <laughs> They're in a bad run of form. And I've, I've been convinced right from the start of this season that Brentford will end up in that bottom three. I think, I think the Ericsson signing for them is, is the one that will could make or break them. You know, if, if he comes in, hits the ground running, then you've got to think they will get enough wins to stay clear. But um, if not, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely catchable. I think Michael said it in after the, the Wolves game on his um, video. I think if we beat them, then we're only four behind them and we've got them at home. Yeah. That's another game that we should look to win. And Thomas but, Frank is a 50-year-old man with curtains as a haircut. So that, <laughs> that is not a team that deserves to stay in the Premier And League. massive ears. He's got the biggest... I don't know if you've ever looked at his ears. He's got the biggest well, he can't ears help I've ever his seen ears, on a man. He can't help his ears, but he can help his curtains. It's like a Severus Snape do we a very, very different face. Uh, so, um, you know that question people ask, like, which which three teams are worse than you, right? Um, I think Burnley. I think this is the year they go down. I've said that for, for quite a while now. Watford are a bit of an unknown quantity because, oh, guess what? They've changed their manager again. Uh, Brentford, I think, are probably going to get dragged right into it. Everton, I expect, have enough quality to go clear, and I think Lampard will give them a bit of a bounce. Leeds are the one, me and Steve have got a bet on this, a fiver uh, for one of the NCFC social spaces that we did. But um, I like, I, I still think Leeds could go down. But obviously the Rafinha factors probably... Leeds have got that thing where they just, they just pull wins out Leeds of nowhere. Will be they fine. just have a ridiculous yeah. 90 minutes where, and they'll just pick, they do seem to just pick up wins when it Le- counts. Leeds will have bad games, but they, they will be fine. I, I still am of the feeling that it's going to be three of the bottom four, but who knows about Brentford. Um, and I'm going to call time on it because I think, I feel like we could go on for another half an hour if we wanted to. But, but there's hope. Can, that's the thing. I, there's, there's real hope. hope. Oh, that's a good way to finish. Um, although I'm going to obliterate that by saying that's all for today's On The Ball the Norwich City podcast that enjoyed 17 glorious hours this weekend actually believing we were going to win the FA Cup uh, and then then the draw happened um, so if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to On The Ball via your podcast player of choice it's available free on your usual player um, we will I promise be streaming the recording of the podcast at some point live in video um, Michael knows how to work the tech and I don't that's as simple as it is really uh, but when Michael's back so will the video be uh, just search Michael Bailey Norwich City on your preferred social media platform and it will show up. Why haven't you searched it already? Why haven't you searched Michael's name already? Um, ratings and reviews wherever prompted always hugely appreciated. And if you want to get in touch with any questions or topic proposals, just send Michael a direct message on Twitter at Michael J. Bailey. A massive thank you once again to our two esteemed guests tonight. Dan, thanks so much. Thanks, Steve. Love that. Stuart Hodge from Sky Sports, thank you. <laughs> You're loving that, aren't you? By the way, <laughs> see that bit at the end there? It's basically just a very long version of the Franz Ferdinand song, Come and Dance with Me, Michael, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, I listened to that for the first time in about 10 years at the weekend very very odd song um, but I want to yeah. be so heavenly mate um, but yes thank you very much Steve it's been a pleasure yeah you could have chosen worse lyrics than that from that track anyway two games to look forward to next week and then Michael definitely is back in the hot seat and we can dance with him then uh, next Monday doesn't get much better than that folks so bye for now
there we go then we're back i sort of i i feel like i can't do the and we're clear thing because it just feels like i'm taking the piss i can't do it without sounding <laughs> like that so um but that was all right wasn't it didn't make did, that segue there fun. was gorgeous like that, uh, you can come and dance with Michael then. that I mean, that's the kind of stuff that as like former rubbish radio DJ just makes my blood pump. <laughs> it's all I've ever wanted to be is a rubbish radio DJ living my dream out here. Um, yeah, so uh, welcome to Wits End. Uh, essentially, we are just talking about anything and everything here. If you, if you don't know how it works by now, then I don't know if I can help you really. But this is essentially the uh, the kind of the hidden area after the end credits um where we kind of just chat nonsense that's if we haven't been doing it for sort of three quarters of an hour already um you can send us your suggestions for topics to discuss either by emailing twitterkers at icloud.com or using hashtag twitterkers t-w-i-t-t-e-r-k-e-r-s on twitter just don't explain what it's all about that is the one rule of uh, wits end don't talk about wits end um and as if to prove that um it's completely unplanned i have nothing planned to talk about so i'm uh I'm passing over. I mean, we can talk about Franz Ferdinand for another 10 minutes if you like, but I feel like we've probably done enough of that already. I just want to say a name because it just came into my head because somebody pronounced this terribly today, right? So, you know, Bruno Guimaraes, who Mm -hmm. Newcastle have just signed. I heard someone called him Guimaraes earlier. and like, (laughs) Where were they from? uh, Well, I don't know. That was a kind of semi-black country Birmingham accent. Um, but I'm not getting on with, well with people for the black country at the moment, but we won't talk about that. Um, oh, is that, let's talk about that. Yeah, is that uh, a Wolves we, we, reference? We can. Is that Dean that Smith? <laughs> oh, there's a Lenny Henry? Premiering. <laughs> um, other hotels are available. See, Dean Smith, do you think the reason he sent us it to be so housing? Because we're going for the hat trick since you <laughs> We've all done it now. It's great. Um, do you think the reason he sent us out that way was because like, as, a, as a villa boy, and I know it's no Birmingham, right? But it's obviously an element of local derby. Like, do you think he's like, oh, I'd really like to beat them? I'm not going to do a Dean Smith impression. Um, do they care about Wolves, though? Do Villa yeah, a little like, bit, probably, but... I can't no, work not out as much as the baggies. Maybe it's like... Norwich-Colchester vibes to... <laughs> yeah. Wolves. Oh, no, because in that analogy, like, um, we, we would be Colchester, right? No. Uh, no one wants to go Colchester, do they? We, no, we no. don't. We we don't have George Mendes in our pocket, so obviously <laughs> that does oh, feel yeah. a long time ago. That Colchester rivalry, doesn't it? Thank you very much, gents. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do it again sometime. Uh, Stuart, thanks again. Thank you, mate. Dan, thank you. Cheers, Steve. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>